Church family, if you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, and I want you to find the 45th chapter, Jeremiah chapter 45. For those of you who are guests, we're walking through the book of Jeremiah verse by verse, and we come really today to the 44th and the 45th chapter, but I'm going to focus primarily on the 45th chapter. The book of Jeremiah is a prophetic word from God given by God to Jeremiah to the people of Israel because he had had enough of their idolatry, the wickedness and the rebellion. And for many, many generations, he would send prophets to ask them to return to him. He loved the people of Judah and they would not. And so finally, he delivered divine discipline in the form of King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians who destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC and took most of the Jews, exiling them back to Babylon. A small remnant had remained, and in the midst of that remnant, Jeremiah was left. Jeremiah prophesied for 40 years of his life, from about the age of 20 to about the age of 60, and his message did not change. But he did not work alone. Jeremiah wasn't the only person being faithful to the Lord. And as is often the case, we tend to gravitate toward the name, the lead man, the person on the stage, and we fail to realize that there were a tremendous amount of people who were faithful to God and faithful to help Jeremiah. We've seen them come up over the last 45 chapters. But no one is more significant, even though compared to Jeremiah, history might think of them as insignificant, Then Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H in the transliterated Hebrew, Baruch. Who is Baruch? Baruch was Jeremiah's scribe. We did not live in a day, or Jeremiah did not live in a day where you could dictate to Siri what you wanted to text. By the way, you need to be careful when you raise in Alabama like I am, what you say to Siri and what she sends when you say what you're going to say. I have had to back myself out of several difficult situations where I have texted, texted something completely inappropriately accidentally. Now, I've texted a few things in my life inappropriately on purpose, but got to be careful. There was no word processing. There, there was no printing press. The written word was very valuable in antiquity and often in the ancient world, both biblical and extra-biblical, men and women of prominence would employ scribes. In the developing world today, there are still, it's a dying breed, it's an interesting article to read, but there are still people who are professional letter writers and you go to them and you say what you want to be written and they write it because you might not have the access to education the ability to read or to write. Just because someone is illiterate doesn't mean they're not intelligent. They may want to send correspondence. And up until just a few decades ago, there were many places where there were professional letter writers on street corners. And you would go and pay them a fee and dictate to them, and they would write down what you wanted, and then you could send by courier or by postal delivery the letter to your loved one, to your business associate. A scribe's job was to take 
what God was saying through the prophet and to put it down. Much of the New Testament was written by men who would listen to people like Paul or Matthew or Mark or Luke and preach, and they would listen to them and write down what they said. There are testimonies of this throughout Scripture. In fact, the reason we have a Bible today is because men wrote down what other men wrote down what other men wrote down. We don't have the official, original manuscript of any of the books of the Bible. But we have thousands upon thousands of copies of copies of copies of copies. And in the 1940s, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, an amazing amount of literature was uncovered that predated the transcripts and manuscripts that historians had used, and it validated the accuracy of the Bible, with the exception of only the book of Esther, Every copy of the Old Testament book was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was incredibly valuable to people of faith who you and I would be affirming the validity and the inerrancy and the accuracy of the Word of God. We believe theologically that God has preserved His Word. And every time archaeologists dig up a fragment, guess what they find? God preserved his word. What we have today is an accurate representation of what was written. And in part, our journey at Church at the Mill over the last few years through the book of Jeremiah is significantly impacted by Baruch, who was the man who served as Jeremiah's scribe. Now, you might think, okay, he was the scribe. Thanks for the history lesson, Pastor. What's this got to do with my life? How am I going to follow Jesus more faithfully because I know how to say Baruch, and I can tell someone tomorrow at the water cooler at work that Baruch was Jeremiah's scribes and that scribes were important in antiquity. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever asked you to serve him when it was difficult? If he hasn't, he will. And if he has never, it might not be that he's not asking. It could be that you're not answering. Whenever we begin to unpack the gospel, what we find is immeasurable worth and value given to us through the blessings of Jesus. But coinciding with that is the call to sacrifice, the call of discipleship. Jesus did not say, take up your convenience. He said, take up your cross. Jesus didn't say save your life. He said lose your life. Jesus didn't say fight to be first. He said be last. Jesus didn't say puff yourself up with self-righteousness. He said humble yourself. Jesus didn't say act like a king or a queen. He says act like a child. So the gospel is the great reversal of the desires of the human heart. And part of that crafting process of God shaping and molding us into being the daughters and sons of the king is that he has the right to call us to serve him when it is difficult. And that is where we find Baruch in Jeremiah chapter 45. He's fed up. He's had enough. He's struggling. In fact, God loved Baruch so much that in the midst of the big picture, he could have ignored his desires. Yet God sent a word through Jeremiah to the scribe. Look what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 45, beginning in verse 1. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah, that's his job, that's what he does. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, now if you're really keeping up with it, this 
chapter doesn't fit chronologically right after chapter 44. In fact, this moment happened in Baruch's life around the same time we're finding chapter 36, about 18 years before Jerusalem is destroyed. But it's also at a difficult juncture because if you will remember, those of you who are a part of this series, there was a moment where God delivered a word to Jeremiah Jeremiah received the word, Baruch wrote the word down, and they took it to the king of Judah. And the king of Judah burned the copy of God's word. I don't know if you remember that study we did a few weeks ago in chapter 36 on that. This happens right on the heels of that. Now, all of a sudden, you begin to see the significance. Have you ever, especially when you really begin to interact with technology, worked really hard on a school assignment only to have your hard drive eat it? You ever lost anything? You know, it doesn't work anymore to say, teacher, the dog ate my homework. But many hard drives, jump drives, thumb drives have failed me in the past. Have you ever said bad things to a closed computer? Have you ever prayed prayers of demon possession over a piece of technology? I had this, Lord. I don't know what you're doing. Can you imagine Baruch writing the literal word of God? A hard word, a true word, a word that needed a response from God's people only to watch the king of the Jews burn it in front of him. I can imagine he was discouraged. And we'll see that here. Look what the scripture says, beginning in verse 2. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You say, so God's quoting Baruch. So here's Baruch struggling. Woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. He already had pain. Now the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. He goes on to say in the same verse. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. Now, this is not the only time people come before the Lord in their groaning and in their weariness. A lot of people think he may have actually been quoting from the Psalms. In fact, in the book of Psalms 6, 6 through 7, this is what the psalmist says. I am weary with my moaning, almost verbatim in the Hebrew, what we find here. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. You ever cried so much you ran out of tears? This is the psalmist. This is Baruch's emotional state. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. If I see you from the back, I can't tell a lot about your emotional state. I might could tell something about your diet. But when I look a woman or a man in the eyes, I can tell how they feel. You can't fake the eyes. A lot of times when we love someone and we see their eyes are bloodshot, we ask, are you okay? And they may simply say, yes, I'm exhausted. I've got a sinus infection. Or they may say, yes, I had a difficult situation this morning. I've been crying before I came to work. Or they may say, I I have some sort of irritation in my eye. But when we see a person's eyes, we can tell, are they running ragged or are they rested? Find somebody after a vacation, there's a glow in their eyes. Find somebody after they worship. I love to see your eyes when you leave this room on a weekly basis. I can tell, though your problems have not dissolved, you have been filled with the Lord's presence through worship, and I can see it in your eyes. The eyes, according to Jesus, are a window to the soul. And so the psalmist and Baruch here says, 
My eyes are out of tears. I am weary, and God keeps adding sorrow to my pain. This is not praise and worship. This is pain and woe. Not praise and worship, but pain and woe. And so this is the state that he is in. Now, when you get to a place and you're asked to serve the Lord and it's difficult, and the difficulty has led to discouragement, and the discouragement manifests itself in distress, perhaps even teetering on the edge of depression, wanting to give up. What do you need to remember? What must we remember? What should we remember when serving the Lord in difficult times? Let me give you three quick truths this morning. Number one, you need to remember your weariness does not change his will. Your weariness does not change his will. This is different than human relationships. If one of my children or my precious wife comes to me and they are weary, I want to change the circumstances. What can I do to relieve this? What can I do to stop this? What can I do to help this situation? When we are weary and we love each other, we want to change that situation. We want to get out of that situation. My Thanksgiving was wonderful. It involved a lot of gluttony, which is permissible for Baptists. It involved a lot of gluttony, and we had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time until 9.30 that evening. And my son backed his truck into my brother's new truck in our driveway. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that within 24 hours of that experience, the sanctifying power of my wife had a discussion with me about my wrath and my anger. Wives will edify us in that way. I was not a happy camper. And when I looked at my son, broken, standing out there in the driveway, I could tell he would love to leave this situation. He would love to just be beamed up, Scotty, right out of there. But he wasn't going anywhere. He was going to endure the speech that every father in this room would have given, and I gave it to him. And brother and sister, homeboy can give a speech. I laid into him. Now, when we face weary situations, we want removal. We want relief. We want a change. We want a recourse. We want to be redirected. Notice what God says to Baruch through Jeremiah. He says, verse 4, Thus shall you say, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord. So, Jeremiah, don't be giving him advice. Tell him what I say. This is what I say. Behold, I, what I have built, I am breaking down. And what I have built, I'm breaking down. And what I have planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. In other words, God says to Baruch, Baruch, I know you're weary. It doesn't change my will. I'm going to bring destruction. Remember, this is 18 years before the city falls, and Baruch is weary from not only watching the people endure the wrath of God, he's weary from watching the people continue in repentance. And by the way, if your city's destroyed and a conquering army comes in, it's not just the wicked who are suffering, it's the righteous who are suffering. We saw that this week. We see innocent people suffer at the hands of the wicked all the time. A deranged man in an SUV ruined a 
wonderful celebratory parade, taking the lives of the elderly and threatening the lives of people and injuring people. And there will be funerals in that little town in Wisconsin today because of a wicked person. And the innocent were caught up in the wickedness. We still see this today. And yet, God has not returned. God has not banished all of wickedness yet. We know that if the Lord does not return tomorrow, tomorrow somebody will be blessed immeasurably and someone else will suffer immeasurably. The world continues to go on. And God is reminding Baruch that he's doing something larger than what we see in the moment, in the temporary. And our weariness, while it is of concern, you might argue, well, is God not concerned with Baruch? He answered him, didn't he? There's a whole chapter in this book where God said, I need you to speak to Baruch for me. The fact that God would give word and give a testimony and give a word to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's prophetic assignment was huge. And yet he said, Jeremiah, I want you to speak to Baruch. I want you to speak to him. And I want you to remind them that your weariness is serious to me. It's significant to me, but it will not deviate me from my will. I will accomplish my sovereign purpose. Now, for some people, they say, well, that's rather insensitive to say that what's going to happen is going to happen according to the will of a sovereign God. But get on the other side of that. What that means is, is that if God is sovereign and he's accomplishing his will, and his will is far greater than anything we can see or imagine, then all of a sudden there's purpose to my pain. There's a reason why I'm walking through what I'm walking through. There's an understanding that God is weaving together a tapestry that I don't see fully, but I trust him completely, which leads to the second truth. I told you I'd be brief. The second truth is that your wants do not change God's wisdom about life. Look what he says to Baruch. He says in verse 4, Thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, Behold, I have what I have built up, I am breaking down, and what I have planted, I am plucking up, that is the whole land. And then he gets real personal, verse 5. And do you seek great things for yourself? Now, this is God speaking to Baruch. Do you seek great things for yourself? Personal accomplishments, ambition, wealth, prosperity. Do you seek those? Look what God says, second phrase, verse 5. Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. There's so much wisdom in that. One of the curses of the human heart is that our desires set us up for disappointment when we begin to desire the great things of the world, knowing that the world is broken. Think about it this way. If you become consumed with something that you believe you have the right to have, we are a nation consumed with declaring to everybody else what our rights are. But if you become consumed with pursuing something you believe is your right, Whatever it may be. For some people, it's not materialism. Preachers love to scratch out a spot and pitch a fit on materialism. But for other people, it might not be materialism. It might be prestige or position or prominence. It may be a a certain relationship that you believe. If I had her, if I had him, if we could have that, if we could live there, if I could achieve this degree or this level of financial security, if this particular uh, politician is elected, if this policy is approved, if my business is able to acquire this piece, 
piece of real estate. Whatever it is, if you pursue those things, they're in a, in a sinful way, you're setting yourself up for disappointment regardless of the outcome. And let me explain. If you don't ever get what it is your heart becomes passionate about, you become disenfranchised, disappointed. But even worse is if you do get it and you realize it doesn't fulfill, it doesn't bring the hope and the joy and the security. Now, Baruch apparently had some personal ambition. He was a well-bred man. He had good family, good lineage, and yet he's watching the ship of Jeremiah's preaching go down as the wrath of God overwhelmed the people, and he begins to recognize there's not going to be anything left here to rebuild. There's not going to be anything left here to to enjoy if these people don't repent, and I'm weary of this. And if there's anybody more familiar with the preaching of Jeremiah than Jeremiah, it's probably Baruch because Jeremiah heard it and said it. Baruch heard it, heard it said, and then wrote it, and wrote it, and wrote it, and wrote it. So he was fully aware of the depth of the destruction that was coming. And he found himself overwhelmed with it. And as he was dealing with that overwhelming, his own personal dreams and ambitions began to crash. And God knew this. I think it's interesting that in the midst of thousands and thousands of Jews, God knew the condition of every single heart. He said, Baruch, you're seeking the great things of this world. Do not seek them because they will ultimately be destroyed. Your personal ambitions, if they become sinfully a priority, they will set you up for discouragement and disappointment. You've all heard preachers quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German pastor who opposed the Nazi regime. He ended up dying at the hands of the Nazis. His quotation in this matter is worth noting. This is what he said, and I'll read. When a person has completely given up the idea of making something of himself, then one throws oneself entirely into the arms of God, then one no longer takes seriously his own suffering, but rather the suffering of God in the world. Bonhoeffer says, I think that's faith. How has a person become proud of success or go astray at failures when one share God's sufferings in the life of this world? Just like you, I'm going to raise my children to have drive, to have ambition. I want them to leverage their lives and make something good for themselves. There's always a healthy amount of that in every person's life. I believe the Lord calls us to work. The Bible makes that very clear. But if we spend our lives thirsting after the wants of this world, we set ourselves up to never understand truly the nature of the kingdom Think about what Jesus said to the disciples. You know, they ask him, hey, who's the greatest? Who's the goat, Jesus? Who's the greatest? The G-O-A-T. The Bible says in Matthew 18, 1 through 4, who is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven? The disciples asked Jesus, and calling to himself a child. The opposite of an esteemed disciple. A little boy or a little girl, we're not told of the gender, but a child. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 18, beginning in the second part of verse 2. In verse 3, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever, or kingdom of heaven, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Don't allow the wants of this world to cancel out the wisdom of God. But finally, and most encouragingly, you have to remember that his wrath, does never cancel out your welfare when you're in his will. 
Look how God ends. He says these words to Baruch. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But, here's what he says. I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you go. Baruch, I want you to know something. I'm going to take care of you. No matter where you go, you'll live. You're going to see death untold because people are choosing to rebel against me. And chapter 44 is the most incredible example of people shaking their fist at God even after the destruction of the temple. Baruch, you're going to see all kinds of death and destruction because people in their wickedness will reject me. But I'm going to preserve your life. I was reminded of what he said to Isaiah. We've all been encouraged by this. It's a great worship song. Do not fear. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Isaiah goes on to say, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The fact that God would speak to Baruch is a good reminder that he has not forgotten you if you are attempting to serve him during difficult situations. The holidays can be incredibly rewarding and they can be incredibly raw. Some of you have families that are divided because of sin, wounds that perhaps get uncovered during the holiday season. Maybe some of you are facing financial unknowns that you had not prepared to face. Others of you have sickness in your body or there is sickness in the body of a loved one. And there's always that temptation to say, Lord, I'm serving you. I'm trying to honor you. I I want to honor you. But I am discouraged. I tried to share my faith and I got shut down. I tried to have a conversation and I was reprimanded. I tried to bring reconciliation and I found myself talking to someone's hand. I tried to do what was right and it appears as though not only was the righteousness of my action ignored, I got punished for doing what is right. I think you have to remember what God told Baruch to remember. He's already saved your life. If you know Christ, you've already been redeemed. In fact, there's no amount of suffering or struggle he doesn't have the right to call you through, and there's nothing he will call you to walk through that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we don't serve based on circumstances. We serve based on the significance of our Savior and the satisfying love he gives I kind of want to end differently today. You know, God's still calling scribes. It might not be in the form of Baruch, but he's still calling out men to take his word and to make it known. Baruch didn't create any content, neither do I. Baruch just took the content of God's word and made it known. We sort of began our service today with some housekeeping, a good story of God's budget But you know, the story of what God is doing in his church is not about numbers. It's not about spreadsheets and columns. It's not about accounts payable. It's about lives, real lives being changed. And one of the great gifts that God gives his church is resources. 
But another gift God has given to his church is when he calls out from the church men and women to serve him in special ways. And one of the most precious things in all the world is to come across a man who feels a call to be a shepherd, to be a pastor, to lead, and to love God's people. Not to lord over them, but to wash their feet with the word of God. Instead of an invitation today, we're going to end with an ordination. I want you to make welcome two pastors on our team. Pastor John Zong and Alex Gore. I want to invite them up on stage. Glove on them a little bit today. I have grown to love and admire these two men in the Lord. Let me tell you about them. So John leads our Chinese congregation, and he has a heart for the Lord in that way. His desire growing up, as he shared with me and as he shared with the ordination council, was to live a good life, get a good job, make a good living. And in 1999, he was diagnosed with a heart condition, and the diagnosis originally said he didn't have very long to live, and he started really asking some questions. His brother had come to know Christ through the ministry of a missionary in China and shared the gospel with John and gave John a Bible, and he found great comfort in the wisdom, specifically of the book of Ecclesiastes, but he was still torn. As a gifted software engineer, John was in a position where right out of college, he was a part of a company that went public, and he made a tremendous amount of money for a young man. And he says he was standing in a beautiful place looking at beautiful mountains with the money that he needed to live the life that he wanted, and he was miserable. And it was at that point that he realized he needed Christ. John got saved married, got four beautiful kids, got active in the church in China, and there was such a need for pulpit ministry, he began teaching and preaching God's word, and God lit a fire in John to become a pastor. He initially said he struggled with that, feeling confident, but God helped him overcome that. He came to the States to train, and during his time of developing here in seminary, he grew a heart to start congregations in cities like ours, ministering specifically to people who might not connect with our church because of a language or a culture barrier. You know, we commissioned him last spring, and he is building a rock-solid congregation. John had been licensed but never been ordained. So recently, we had an ordination council, ordination council to examine his life. And I'm telling you, if you've never sat and had coffee with this brother, you need to. And hear his faith in the Lord. And then there's Alex. Alex is our preteen pastor Alex and his wife, Chafee, have been a part of our church now for some time, and they're expecting their first child any moment now, but any day now, uh, Max, and we're excited about that. But Alex came to Christ because a friend of his that he studied math with, I needed Jesus in math too, but studied math with, invited him to church. And he went to youth group, and he began to hear the gospel, and he came to Christ in 2013. And then in 2016, he began dealing with a call to ministry. And he shared with me that one of his grandmothers said, if God's calling you, 
you need to do it. And so he surrendered to a call to pastor and trained at North Greenville, was serving in another local church. And Alex, too, has served on our campus. He is a licensed pastor but wanted to be, and we desire to ordain him. And I sat with him and many men in our church and leadership there in the ordination council, and I listened to his heart for God and his heart for kids. Some of my children are in his ministry, and he's made an impact on them. And I think about these two men I wanted to challenge you in front of this congregation. Baruch got discouraged because he was called to do a difficult thing in the light of God's people not always behaving. I want to say to you men before God and before this precious congregation that I pastor and that you serve. Being ordained does not possess within itself any magical power. The authority of your ministry is in the truth of the gospel and the word of God. And my life verse in ministry is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. I'll put it on the screen. Timothy says, Paul says to Timothy that many people will lose their way. But as for you, pastor, always be sober-minded. That means you control what you control. Endure suffering. It won't always be easy. Do the work of an evangelist. Make your life about the gospel. Sharing the gospel with people in your culture, through your language. Sharing the gospel with young men and women in that preteen ministry that are so formative. And the future of student ministry, which is unlimited for you, Alex, with your gifts and your ability and your charisma. And fulfill your ministry. A lot of men start out in ministry. Very few finish. So I stand before you and the testimony of this church. And I challenge you and I charge you both. Finish what God called you to do. Make your life about him. Stay close to him. Stay clean. Stay committed and stay convicted. And just like Baruch, who was a messenger of God's word, there will be people one day in heaven because of your pastoral ministry and the work that you've done. Church family, are you proud of men like this? I am. I am. And by the way, I think it is significant, and I want to say it. I've fallen in love with these men for who they are as men. We don't have a diversity strategy at Church at the Mill. We have a discipleship strategy. God's into discipleship. And he saves people from places you and I have never been. And he saves people in cultures that are far different than ours. And he brings them to his church as a gift. And I praise God for what these men represent, for who they are, for their precious families here with us today, and for all that they're going to do to impact our lives. And so I'm going to ask them to be seated and their precious wives, Chafee, who is married to Alex, and Addie, who is married to John, are going to join us up on stage. I want to invite our pastors and our deacons here at Church at the Mill to go ahead and make your way down. And church family, as we surround them and lay hands on them in conclusion of this service as a prayer of ordination, I want you to pray for them, Alex and John. Alex's wife is named Chafee. John's wife is named Addie. They are expecting their first child, Alex is, and Chafee. And then John and Addie have four 
beautiful children. So I want you to pray for them. And I've asked two men and my favorite woman here at Church at the Mill to pray over their lives. Nate Brown is our children's pastor and works and mentors and helps Alex. He's going to pray over Alex's life. Jason Williamson is our missions pastor, and it is under his ministry and vision that we began a Chinese congregation. He's going to pray over John and his family. Then my beautiful wife, Laurel, is going to pray over these precious wives as a significant part of their ministry. And then I'll conclude in prayer. Could we enter into a spirit of prayer? Would you bow with me as we begin to pray? Father, I thank you so much for how you have brought the nations to us. You have brought people from all over the world right here to Spartanburg, South Carolina. You've put them at our doorstep and you have called us to serve them. We can't do it alone. And you have literally brought the nations to our church staff. And I rejoice in John and Addie. I thank you so much for their friendship, their fellowship, the vision that they have for reaching East Asians in Spartanburg County that are lost and are separate from you. I pray that you would bless John with patience, wisdom, and grace over his ministry. I, I pray that you would bless him with the skills of an evangelist so that he may win many people to you who do not know you now because of a barrier that they might have culturally, linguistically, or just the fact that they have been veiled for what the true gospel is. God, I pray, I praise you for this ordination. I praise you for the congregation that John has built. And I pray for longevity in his ministry life and effectiveness for the kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Dear Lord, what a, just a special moment, Lord, to stand here uh, with my brother Alex, Lord. First of all, I thank you for the first call you had on his life, uh, Lord, to come to you uh, in salvation, Lord. I thank you for all those that invested, those that invited him to church, Lord, the student pastor who faithfully preached your word, uh, Lord. I just thank you for using them in Alex's life. And then Alex surrendered to the call, Lord. It wasn't easy, uh, Lord, just a huge step of faith to follow you and to say, yes, I will. Uh, pursue that call to ministry and just those that you've circled him around Lord it's so fun to sit on the ordination council with Alex and just to see all the people that had impacted his life uh, there just to encourage him in his call in ministry Lord so we lift him up to you today uh, Lord just the, the years ahead uh, Lord just pray that he keeps his eyes focused on you uh, Lord uh, pray for him and Chafee their marriage uh, Lord, that that relationship is strong. And as Max has come to the world here in just any day or weeks to come, uh, we just thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we pray for the lives that he's going to get to invest in. Lord, those that are going to come to know you uh, just because of his faithful teaching and pointing them to you, uh, God that saves uh, still today. Lord, and our prayer is that you use that to one day he's standing on this stage and is able to be able to pray uh, as he's sending somebody out uh, to ministry that's following your call. So, Lord, just use him in a big way in everything you do to reach these young people for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Dear Father, just as we have spent time this morning acknowledging the call that you have placed on Alex, Lord, and John, God, we also want to acknowledge that you have uniquely equipped and prepared Addie and Chafee for their roles as wives and servants of you as well. God, so we just pray for them this morning. God, I just pray that you continue to strengthen them in their individual walks with you. God, I pray that through consistent time with you, God, that they will um, 
just rely on who they know that you are and who that they know they are through you. And that as they are strengthened through you, God, that you will give them all that they need. Lord, to love their husbands well and faithfully. Lord, to to serve their husbands and to serve their families and to serve your church. Lord, I, I pray for them as they serve in roles in your church that you have uniquely gifted them to serve in. Lord, I pray that you give them effective ministries in their families. God, I pray that you allow them to have effective relationships with believers and with those who are not believers. God, I just pray that their lives be encouragements to all that they come in contact with. God, I thank you for these ladies. Lord, I thank you for what they mean to so many. And I just pray that you continue to build them up and encourage them in their walks with you. In your name I pray. Heavenly Father, today has been a celebration of your provision. You have provided resources, and here you've provided two men, their precious wives and family, and you have given them to your church. And so now we recognize, Lord, we don't save people. We did not call Alex and John to preach and to pastor. You did. But under the authority given to us as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, It is our honor to affirm this ordination over their lives to the gospel ministry. May they serve you and you alone faithfully and diligently as they love and serve your church. And we'll give you the glory and the honor for it. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Can you love on them one more time? Guys, if you'll stand up, we have an ordination certificate we'd like to present to you. For those of you who are guests of ours, uh, they're going to be with family, but also kind of out in the concourse. If you'd like to meet and greet them, I'll be in the hub. I'd love to meet you. Thank you for being a part of our service today. God bless you. You are dismissed.